Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ, and then to be sanctuary to each other, and express sanctuary to this city. And so, for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. Well, welcome everyone. Good to see your lovely faces. It looks like the sun might be coming out, so might be a nice day. Oh, thanks, Billy. Yeah. Water bottle. Stand. Stool. I like it. Um, all right. Well, uh, thanks for coming out. We are in the middle of a series called The Return of the king and do we have any basketball fans here a few of us yes i must apologize on behalf of the church we were a little culturally insensitive in this series the warriors are playing the sacramento kings right now and currently losing in the series Uh oh boo uh but it was actually the first time i think in like was it 16 or 17 years that the sacramento kings have made the playoffs So just to be abundantly clear, Sanctuary Church is not rooting for the return of the Sacramento Kings. We are returning. We're rooting for the return of the King. That's my only corny joke of the day. Uh, But we are are in the the midst of this series. And if you were here last week when Glenn Power was here from our sister church in Visalia, man, wasn't that good? So good. Just unpacking the doctrine of the resurrection. If you were Fortunate enough to come in the evening, my, my head, I'm still trying to like, maybe you're smarter than me, still trying to understand everything he unpacked, but I know it's going to be good, the second coming, um, but he just, he just brilliantly like laid out um, just basically how central this idea, this doctrine of the second coming was to the early church, and was the Paul, and he talked about how when he came in to plant churches, like one of the first things he got to was the doctrine of the second coming. Actually, in my study, I don't think Glenn mentioned this last week unless I was daydreaming, but um, that one, or the, the doctrine of the resurrection is mentioned 300 times in the New Testament. That's one out of every 13 verses. Now, I don't know about you, but I would say that one out of, one out of every 13 sermons that I've heard in my Christian life has not been about the resurrection, or the, the second coming, the doctrine of the second coming. And so, He laid out that brilliantly for us. What we're going to do over the next few weeks, this week and the next two weeks, is in light of what Glenn said, and he, he, go back and listen to it if you you missed it, but in light of what he said was going to happen, uh, what implications does that have for us today? How should we live? So today, I'm going to talk about longing for that day, how we wait with eager anticipation. (laughs) Joni's got the great task of uh, talking about the warnings about that day. Um, and then I'm going to come and wrap up the series with how do we prepare in the now um, for that day. And just a little teaser. It's not to stock up on guns and, like, go live off the grid. Uh, <laughs> so you'll want to come back for that one as well. So that's what we're going um, today. But the main idea for today's talk is what you believe about the future determines almost everything about how you live in the present. 
And hold with me for a little bit. Colleen's going to read our scripture, but I'm going to just unpack it a little bit before we get into there. But what you believe about the future, what you believe about your future, what you believe about the future of your community, what you believe about the future of the world determines almost everything about how you live in the present. And if that's true, it begs a few questions. First of all, what do we believe about the future? And then actually, uh, do we actually believe in the future that we say we believe in? as evidenced by our actions, because everything, what we believe about the future, determines how we live in the present. About a year ago, I looked in the mirror, and I had a belief about the future, and that belief about the future was that the person looking back at me in the mirror would be about 20 pounds lighter (laughs) than the person that was looking in the mirror. (laughs) That, uh, That quarantine 15, 20, 25 pounds that I had put on would, uh, would be shut off, and, um, and it actually impacted a lot about the present. I started, uh, about that belief of the future actually made me, you know, diet differently and care about nutrition differently and work out differently. And Kelsey is hoping that I look in the mirror again because I'm starting to put some of that back, you know. Um, but, but what we think about the future, what we believe about the future, has a lot of impact about today. Uh, how we live out today. How many of you know, though, that the cultural moment that we live in today is not exactly characterized by overwhelming, gushing hope and optimism about the future, right? This cultural moment is not, in fact, according to Gallup, you go to the next slide, yeah, looking ahead to 2050, you can see some of the, the slides. Americans are more pessimistic about the future now than they have been at any time in the last 30 years. There's this low-grade angst, this like just simmering under the surface, right? This cynicism, a feeling of malaise, of meaninglessness, of detachment. There's this distrust of institutions that we would have once looked at to, to give us stability, a feeling that the scripts that we've been given, the stories that we've been handed about the future, they're no longer working, and we're all left feeling just a little bit unmoored, right? A lack of positive vision about the future that would normally give us resilience and joy and power and passion, hope and purpose in the present. And I think if, if we're really honest, we all see this, we all feel this a little bit, right? Um, I think perhaps it might be most dramatically illustrated and evidenced um, by what's called, or the recent headlines, the so-called deaths of despair. If you go to the next slide, this was a a term coined by, in 2015 by the Princeton ec- economists, Anne Case and Angus Deaton. Um, and these are deaths attributed to suicide, alcohol, and drug overdoses. Um, and you can see just here on your screen from the year 2000 to the year 2017, these just skyrocketed, more than doubled, and eclipsed any time in human history by a wide margin. And this is even pre-COVID, right? From two, in fact, from 2001 to 2016, in that 15-year period, opioid deaths among 20 to 30-year-old males, the, the, the one that I uh, fall into, um, actually in, rose from 4% of all deaths in the, to 25% of all deaths. So the, the, uh, <laughs> the generation that I fall into, 25% of all deaths are drug overdoses. In general, drug overdose deaths are at 500% in the last 30 years. And what's really peculiar, if you go to the next slide, that this trend maps almost entirely to the inverse of church participation over that same time period. As 
Church participation has declined precipitously. The deaths of despair have, happened, have increased. So what's happening? I think a lack of positive vision of the future, at least one of the reasons, it's leading to radical disorientation in the present. Um, I was, uh, we were going to the park yesterday and in the car we were listening to Death Cab for Cutie. Does anyone know Death Cab for Cutie? The band, I was talking to some people in their 20s and they'd never heard of that band before and I've never felt so old. Uh, it was crazy. But um, Ben Gibbard, the lead singer, he released a song, I think last year, called Here to Forever. And I think it encapsulates this cultural moment that we're in so well. I want to read the second verse and then go into the chorus. But he says, oh, these days, it's so hard to relax. You got to hold a gun to my back to make me smile, to make me smile. And the only way I seem to cope, get this, is by trying to hold on to hope, reaching for hope, if just for a while, if just for a while. And then it gets to the chorus, which I think contains a remarkable admission. I want to know the measure from here to forever. I want to know what's happening in the future. I want to know the measure from here forever. And then it says this, and I want to feel the pressure of God or whatever. Now it seems more than ever there's no hands on the levers, and I want to feel the pressure of God or whatever. What is this? This is a primal, I think, soul-level ache of the fear of God. He said, I want to feel the fear of God. I want to know that someone's got their hands on the levers. There's some purpose to this, and that there's something in the future that I'm reaching towards that impacts the present. I think we feel this in our culture. I mean, I was stunned when I heard this. Someone crying out for the fear of God in the present. I think this is the moment we find ourselves in. And yet, the Christian story, I think, uh, has a very different vision on offer for us today. Uh, it's something, I pull out a lot of verses, but First Peter 1, 13, Apostle Peter says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Set your hope. One translation says, fix your hope. What do we fix our hope on? On the revealing of Christ's coming. Yeah, on his appearing. Uh, fix your hope. We're to be anchored in hope. The church is, we're to be known for people that have our hope anchored in this future, anchored in the appearing, anchored in the doctrine of the appearing of Christ, because what we believe about the future church determines almost everything about how we live in the present. So, what we're going to unpack today, this doctrine of the second coming, isn't some tertiary, like, pet project doctrine. It's central. It's so important. It has so much incredible importance today. And so my aim is when we are done, I hope, I hope we can whet our appetites. I want to hope to whet our appetites for this day, for the coming, so that we can know and anticipate and look forward to that day. And I want to open up scriptures and actually paint a multi-textured mural for us today of what that means, the beauty of Christ's glorious, triumphant return, King Jesus coming on the clouds. And I just want to trust that the Spirit will be at work as we open up these scriptures to stir up our heart and thirst for this day. Uh, so that's the plan. Uh, with that, I want to actually invite Colleen up, and she's going to read our verse. We're going to go back. We haven't done this in a few weeks, but we're going to go back into our groups and discuss this. So listen, pay attention. It'll be on your screen. 
It's Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. I think we be in the NIV. Yep. Okay, so she'll read it, and then we're going to break into groups and answer a few questions. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we'll give All it right. to Colleen. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Hmm. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much. Um, all right, so as we do, if you just find a few neighbors, group, group, uh, break into groups of three, four, five, and we're going to ask two questions. What does this passage tell us about God? And what does this passage tell us about people? Again, Revelation 21, verse 1 through 5. Just break among, in groups amongst yourselves just for a few minutes, and we'll come back and do some sharing. All right, maybe just one more minute, and we'll gather together. All right, let's, uh, let's gather back. I'm sure we could continue discussion for a long time, but this is good. Um, we always start over here, so maybe, well, I guess you, Sari, when you, you started over here, didn't you? So we mix it up. We'll start in the, over in, <laughs> start in the middle. Start in the back. We'll start in the back. <laughs> um, any observations, either question, uh, what does this sh- sh- tell us about God or about humanity? It's fascinating. I'm sure there's a lot more that was discussed too, but I love this time to be able to share and, and be together uh, and see what God brings up to all of us. This is incredible. Um, so why should we long for the return of the king? I want to lay out, hold with me, hang with me, 11 reasons <laughs> why I found. It's going to be a long one. We're going to, 11 reasons why I see in scripture, we should long for this return of the king. So we can be, as Apostle Peter contends for us to be, those who fix our hope on the coming of Jesus. So first of all, as we just read, it marks the end of suffering. We read in Revelation 21, verse 4, every tear, that idea of him personally wiping away the tear that's so Beautiful. But Romans 8.18 says, I consider, this is fascinating, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I mean, meditate on that for a minute. I mean, all of the suffering that we have are not worth comparing to the glory. That's crazy. Shane Hipps says, hope means that in the spite of the relentless terrors, tragedies, and traumas of life, we abide with a stubborn confidence, a gritty confidence, right? that there is a greater story at work. A story that does not deny these painful realities, but interprets them in light of the story's ending. An ending where weeping turns to laughter and despair dissolves into joy. As Samwise Gamgee says, everything sad will turn untrue. Yeah? I have good news for you, church. This day 
is coming. Secondly, death will be defeated. I told you these points would be short. 1 Corinthians 15, 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. In verse 54, he says, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? Yeah. 1 Corinthians 4. Verse 13, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 through 18, Paul writes, and he says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about that, those passing away in death, or those who sleep in death. Don't be uninformed. I want, I want to make sure you have a clear understanding of what's happening in death so you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Any Kendrick Lamar fans out there, he has a song, he says, I grieve different, I grieve different. We as Christians grieve differently, right? For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so that we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with those words. About five or six years ago, we experienced the, 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 the terror of having a miscarriage. And we never got to meet, never got to hold our baby, either boy or girl, we don't, we don't know, but I'm holding on to this. One day, we will meet him or her. We will meet, it says we'll be known. We get to have eternity with our child that we've never met. We hold on to that hope. I have good news, church. That day is coming. Third, justice will be delivered. We just read about him coming in the clouds, and oftentimes we read that, and we think the clouds is a reference. Just He's coming from the air. He's coming down. But actually, if you'd read this in the first century, the clouds represented something different, right? When God led his people, the Israelite people, um, it was through by cl- uh, a cloud by day and by a pillar of fire by night. When the presence of the Lord filled the temple, it was described as a cloud. His glory, his presence filled the temple. It was his perfect holiness where nothing wrong could be in his presence that way. It's like he's saying like he's coming on with his glory. The Hebrew word is Shekinah glory, coming to earth. And it's this picture of like Eden being restored, everything being perf- made perfect again. And so Cornelius Plantinga, in a book, Exploring God's World, at the end of it, he talks about the second coming, and he says this, the second coming of Jesus Christ is good news for people whose lives are filled with bad news. If you're a slave in Pharaoh's Egypt, or in the southern United States in the early 19th century, if you're an Israelite exiled in Babylon, or a Kosovar exiled in Albania, if you're a woman living living in a culture where your husband gets mad at you, he can lock you up in a closet. Or if you're a Christian in sub-Saharan Africa today where the AIDS has devastated whole populations, get this, he says, then you don't yawn when somebody mentions the return of Jesus Christ. The person who wants justice and redemption wants the kingdom of God, and the coming of the kingdom depends on the coming of the king, the one who will return with power and great glory, the second 
coming of Jesus Christ means that justice will at last fill the earth. If you care about social justice, if you care about ending racism, if you care about these things, you're working on something that will last. You're working on something that will ultimately have its fulfillment when Christ comes to this earth again. And I have good news for us, church. That day is coming. Forgiveness is made possible. The second coming of Jesus Christ means that the judgment seat of the universe is not sitting empty and will not sit empty. It means that if we have been wronged, and some of us have been wronged greatly, and I want to be careful with this point, but ultimately, the judgment seat doesn't have to be filled by us. It's filled by God, right? The judgment seat of the universe is not empty. And that means, and of course, we have to walk with wisdom when we've been hurt, and we don't just willfully, you know, proceed as, as the same, and it takes process, but ultimately, like, there's a bitterness and a resentment that we can release to God, because only God knows what this person meant. Only God knows what this person has meant to, gone through. Only God can ultimately be the true judge of the universe, and that judgment seat will be filled, and he will provide judgment, so we actually can take the pressure off. We don't have to sit in that seat I have good news. That day is coming. Next, our work in this world will matter. Oliver Wendell, Wendell Holmes famously said, some people are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. And yet I would say those people don't really understand what heaven's going to be like. They don't understand uh, the doctrine of the second coming. If Christ is, is here, as it was mentioned someone, actually heaven's coming to earth. This earth matters. What we do matters. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says, this means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next this world matters. It's, it's going to be renewed. We're going to be here. Heaven's going to feel very earthy. Yeah? Revelation 21, verse 24 through 26 says, this is fascinating, the nations will walk by its light, and it says the kings of the earth, it's talking about heaven, the new earth, will bring their splendor into it. No, on, on no day will its gates ever be shut. There will be no night there. And it says the glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. And we're given this picture of the new heavens and the new earth, like being like the best of all humanity, like the pinnacle of human culture, the best cuisines and foods, the best arts, the best stories, like the best movies, everything will be brought in. The, the kings of these nations will bring in the best of their society, the best of their cultures. It's gonna be like walking in like the De Young Museum or like the MoMA, like heaven is gonna be this amazing. It's like one great experience, the best of humanity after the other. And it also means that some of us might be working on some project, something right now with our hands that might make it in. Right? <laughs> like, what we do is, is matters. Like, this is important. It means our work in this world will matter, and we're going to explore that and enjoy that forever. I have good news, church. That day is coming. Our relationships in this world matter. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, Now I know in part, then I should know fully, even as I am fully known. That means the relationships that we're forming together. Like Jordan and Becca, like, I'm going to know you not just for the next like, few months while you finish out this internship and hopefully for years after that, but 
like for millions and millions of years. Like we're going to know each other. Yeah? Seriously, like the, what we're, the relationships we're forming now isn't just a passing. Like these things will matter. We'll be known. Like it's, it, it provides great significance to what we're doing now. Like we're going we're gonna to know each other. That day is coming. Good news, church. The earth will be renewed. Romans 8, verses 21, 8, 8, 21 says, Creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Yeah, it's this, I love planet Earth. Like, it's fantastic. I mean, we've, we've had the privilege to explore, like, this fantastic, like, amazing thing. Yesterday was Earth Day. Like, this, this world has be- incredible beauty in it, but it also has pain and disease and storms and things that we don't understand. But the picture we get painted in Scripture is like Earth Plus, like the best of Earth, even better, and all the bad stuff gone away. Like we renewed Earth. Second Peter three thirteen says, "But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new Earth, where righteousness dwells." I have good news, church. That day is coming. Next, all of humanity will be unified in its bowing down to Jesus. Think about that. Think about how divided the world is right now. Think about anyone all bowing down to one leader. Think about the whole world bowing down to any one leader. I mean, that's crazy. Think about how fractured the church is. And yet it says today, it says in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can you even picture that scene? It's incredible. And just to be clear, some people won't want to bow down but will be forced to. I'm not trying to paint a picture of like universalism here. However, like the, I, the, the fact remains, all of the redeemed of the church will be glory, glorifying Jesus, bowing down to him in one voice, singing praise, and every knee, it says, on earth and under the earth. It's incredible. I mean, man, do we not long for that in our politics today? Do we not long for that? It's like, would someone bring us together? I have good news, church. That day is coming. It says we will be transformed. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51 through 52, he says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. 1 John 3, 2 says, my friends, now we are children of God and that we, and what we will has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We shall be like Jesus? That's good news, right? I'm somewhere, I'm gonna be like Jesus. Philippians 3, verses 20 through 21, that our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under con- his control will transform our lowly Bibles, <laughs> sorry, lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. We're gonna be like his glorious body. I have good news, church. That day is coming. 
We will rule and reign with him. This one blows my mind. The word uh, coming and arrival, Glenn unpacked this a little bit, that when, when um, the scripture writers talk about the coming of Jesus, they use the word parousia, which actually in that day would have been known as an actual physical event. A parousia is when a victorious king would come to one of his cities and everyone would actually leave the city gates and meet him outside and then they would parade in victory together in this victorious parade into the city. And this idea of that we get to participate in the victory with him. We get to meet him in the clouds, it says, and then come down to earth in this victory. Actually, in Revelation 2, verses 26, it says, he will give us authority over nations. Have you ever thought about that? We're going to be ruling. We're going to have authority over nations. And there's this throwaway line that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, where he says, do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And then he says, do you not know that you will judge angels? Like, nope, no, Paul, I did not know that one. <laughs> I did not know that one. But in some way, we're going to participate with him. We're not just going to like get up to heaven and be lowly and groveling, though we will, to Jesus, but he's actually going to let us participate in his rule and reign in some mystery that I don't even fully understand. But I know it says this in Revelation 8, 19, for creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. And there's this sense that like, All of creation is crying out, where are the children of God? Where are the men and women of God who would lead us in righteousness? Because the leaders we have aren't cutting it. When will the children of God be revealed and actually rule us with righteousness? I have good news, church. That day is coming. And finally, I think most importantly, we will get to be with Abba, Father. We will get to be with that. Revelation 21, verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with him. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, we've said this before, but at the end of that verse, it says, now we see him, sorry, the beginning, now, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, face to face, there's going to be a day where we get to look our Christ Jesus face to face. And you know what he's going to say? The pinnacle of my life, I think, is going to be when he looks me back in the face. You know what he's going to say? He's going to say, Tim. He's going to know my name. He's going to know my name. He's going to say, Tim. Your, your, your name is in the book of life. Tim, I've known you. I've come after you. Tim, well done, good and faithful servant. Victor, well done, good and faithful servant. Sarah, well done. John Ortberg says, the joy that is in store for God's people is so great that the only image that can do it justice is the joy between a lover and his beloved Then we will see the wedding of which the greatest weddings on this earth have only been a dim foreshadowing. Then God will dance with his people. Then joy will reign undiminished and uninterrupted. Then will be fulfilled, then will be fulfilled the words of the prophet who is trying to express the inexpressible. You will go out in joy and be led back in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall burst into song and all the trees in the fields shall clap their hands. The apostle prophet Apostle John 
tried to say to them too, he will dwell with them as their God. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. I have good news for you, church. That day is coming. What we believe about the future impacts how we live today. All of the open story loops, the story we're living will be closed. Yeah, we're homeless, we're looking for rest. He said he's prepared a place for us. We're shamed and naked and looking for who's gonna take care of us. He said he's gonna clothe us with a cloak of righteousness. We're in bondage to the idols of our own heart. Who's gonna free us? He's gonna be victorious and he's gonna free us and, free us and usher us in to freedom. That day is coming. Uh, band, you guys can come up just as I close here. I think the reason, one of the reasons, the reason actually, that we can look forward to that day and be excited and be full of confidence and assurance is because it is his second coming. Because there was a first coming before. Glenn talked about this a little bit, but that coming is, is big, it's bold, there's fire and clouds. I mean, it's big and bold. The first coming was very different. God came almost in disguise. That coming, the stars, the second coming, the stars, it says they're gonna fall from the sky. The first coming, there was a single star in the sky leading us to the manger, to the baby. Yeah? He's gonna come in judgment in the second coming, and the only reason that we can be excited about that is because he didn't come bringing judgment the first coming. He came to bear it. Yeah? He came, he took our sin, he took our shame, everything that we deserved, he took it upon himself. In Revelation, John has this picture. He looks up to that judgment seat I talked about, the throne room of heaven, the great court of the universe, and he looked on the judgment seat, and what did he see? Not a lion, but a lamb. This is the only judge in human history that actually got off off the judge's seat, and he took the punishment that was deserved by the defendants, us. And so we can raise our heads. We have new life. Everything that we laid out today is ours. It's preposterous, but that's what the gospel is, that we get to reign with him forever, know him face to face because of what he has done. Yeah. So we're gonna worship this king that's coming on the clouds. We're gonna worship this lion, but also the lamb that took our sins so that we can look forward to that great day. I don't know how the Lord is prompting you, how the Spirit is prompting you to respond right now. It may just be to sit there and reflect on these truths. It may be actually if you feel like you haven't accepted that sacrifice of the Lamb. If you haven't actually put your faith in Jesus and said, actually, I accept what you've done for me and I look forward to that great day. Maybe it's saying a prayer to Jesus today. Maybe that you want to get with someone, just pull someone aside, pull me aside. There's several of us that would love to pray with you. We're just going to take a few minutes to respond in song, and Billy's going to come up and lead us in communion.
to remember that day that he's coming. Remember that day he came and anticipate that day that he's coming. Can I pray for us? Yeah. Dear Jesus, we love you. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for this truth that you are coming again, that every tear will be wiped away, that you long to be with your people. (laughs) Yeah, Jesus. We thank you that you've done everything to clear the way for us. We thank you that death will be no more. We thank you that you've got a place for us. You've actually got a purpose for us. Father, we thank you that the things that we do in this world matters, but ultimately we thank you, Father, for the gift of your Son that you came after us and you give us life. And so may we look forward to that day, Jesus, when you're coming back triumphantly and we get to be with you. Yeah, Jesus. Thank you, God. Amen.